Romans chapter 12 is going to be this morning. We'll, we'll jump into a bit of Romans 15 as well, but go to Romans chapter 12. So it's New Testament, get through the Gospels, Acts, Romans. As, you, as you're turning there, I've been, um, I've been having conversations with people who aren't connected in church during this whole COVID season. They're just having conversations, asking them questions like, hey, hey, like, like what's it look like for you and, and, and how, it's, how you've been impacted by COVID? And one of the questions I ask a lot is, like, if you needed help, do you have people that would, that would know, that you, that you know that you could reach out to? But maybe even more deeper than that, not so much do you know people you could reach out to, but do you, are you known enough by people? Do people know your situation enough? Would they know enough to be able to come and reach out to you? Are you known enough to, to be known if you were struggling? And so as we unpack in this series, this whole idea of what, what the church is, what does it look like to be a church? And, and I want us to, to dive into this morning, what, what does it look like to have relationships in a church? What, what's a church community really look like? What's it look like where people are known? What's it look like where, where needs are being met, whether it be financial or, or, or relational or emotional? What does that look like? What's it look like to know that people are praying for you, but not just generally praying for you, but that, that people would be praying for you by name? What's it look like to be in a church community where, where your life is so open, your heart is so open that, that, that your heart's exposed to people? Today, what I want to do is looking into God's word, I want us to, to look into what, what is God's design for, for every one of our lives in the church. Not, not just a few people, or to, be, to be a part of a church that's not just like, well, that's the core of the church. That's the kind of the, the tight people in church. But for all of us who would say, this is my home church, for all of us, What's it look like to be in a church community? So this morning, as we look at what is the community of a church, what's it look like to be united? What's it look like to be discipled and on mission together? What, what do we really mean? When, when you say, I go to this church or this is my church, what does that actually mean? What's it mean to say that we're, we're united, we're growing in Christ, we're on mission together? What's it mean to say we're, a, we're that kind of a community, a community where, where it's safe to confess sin? where our lives are transparent, where, where it's not closed or fake? What's it look like to have a community where, where we share our treasures and our, and our time and our talents, where we're not selfishly individualistic? What's it mean to live in what we would call intentionally invasive relationships, where, where people in our lives have permission to, to lovingly come alongside us and press in onto our hearts? What's it look like to be in a community where we serve alongside of each other as, a, as we give to each other's needs, where it's, it's not just about us? Now, here's the thing. If we're gonna dive into what, what God's designed for the church to be a church in community, it's going to take work. If we want a, a cold, closed, gossipy, dysfunctional, dysfunctional, individualistic, surface-only, clicky kind of church, listen, we don't need to do anything. Like, we just close in prayer and let's go on. Like, that, that's pretty easy. That'll just happen naturally. But if, if we want a church that's united like God calls us to be united, we need to intentionally, we need to intensely pursue that kind of community that, listen, that Christ died for. The kind of community that Jesus in John 17, that he prays for us to have, that we would be one, that we would be united as, as one. And, and listen, I'll say this, we're, we're not perfect that way as a church. Man, we've dropped the ball on this. We've missed the mark at times on this. And yet by God's grace, listen, listen, this is what we're going for. 
Let's not settle for anything less than what Jesus longs for us to be. And so we think about what is the church. We've kind of been springing out of Acts 2.42 with just about all of these messages. And so again, if you, if you think back to Acts 2.42 and what was that first church, that early church, what were they devoted to, committed to, all about? Well, they were devoted to preaching and the, and the word, right? We knew that. They're, they're devoted to prayer. But it also says this, they're devoted to fellowship. The Greek word used there for fellowship is a word called koinonia. It, it literally means they, they, they were devoted to being joined together. To be joined together. So you come to Romans chapter 12 and you, and you see this outworking now as, as Paul writing this letter to this church in Rome is saying, this is what that looks like. If you want to be joined together, here's some ways that it is. And, and Romans 12 just filled with commands. It's like, you want this kind of community? Do this, don't do that. Be this, don't be like that. Now, here's the thing, though. Before we jump into Romans 12, we've got to understand we're jumping into a letter that's, that's already 11 chapters in. These commands here don't just come out of nowhere. In fact, if you look at verse 1, what's it say? It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. All these commands, all this desire to, hey, what's it look like to live in community? How do I pursue that? And Paul's going to say, here's some things to do, but, but first, you need to start here. It's the mercy of God. Everything we talk about this morning comes from that starting point. So you, you get to Romans chapter 12, you got to understand what's already come before that, that, that Romans 1 to 3, Paul laying out so clearly about what it looks like to be a sinner under the wrath of God, that all of us in our sin deserve God's just judgment, his wrath poured out. And you get to Romans 3.23 and you, you hear this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you're hearing that the wrath of God is on sinners and then this bad news, all have sinned. Every one of us then. It's the worst news in the world. And then you come to the verse right after that, Romans 3.24, that says this, though, that, that, that we can be justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that's in Christ Jesus. That, that we're declared righteous before God by his grace, not based on what we do. And then Paul spends chapters 4 to 11 unpacking that grace deeper and, and more practical and laid out this idea that, listen, you don't work your way to God. You don't have to, because God's come to you, that he's made salvation possible for you. So we don't, we don't worship here on a Sunday morning. We don't come to worship because we're hoping if I worship really well, hopefully I can earn God's favor. Maybe if I sing well, if I give more money, if I do better things, then God's going to love me more. Listen, that's not what we've done. That's not what we're doing. We're not trying to get God's attention. No, we gather to worship because we're overwhelmed by the mercies of God. overwhelmed that we're now made new and alive in Christ. And so now he says, in light of those mercies, who God is, how he's transformed you, he says, in light of that, live it out this way. So verse one, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, what's he say? To present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he starts here and he says this. He says, because of God's grace, it should change your life. In fact, I would say it this way if you're taking notes. Our first point, God's mercy fuels our worship. God's mercy fuels our worship. And th this is going to be a super quick point, but it, it doesn't mean it's not an important point. In fact, I would say this. This is the foundation of everything that's coming after this. 
Why we do anything as a church comes out of this. That, that, listen, worship is the engine of the church. Worship is what drives everything we do. So Paul's saying here, hey, in, in light of the mercy of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices. He said, hey, in the Old Testament, what you would do is you would bring an animal as a sacrifice to pay for sin. And, and yet we know that now in Christ, he came as the, the perfect spotless lamb, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. So we don't do that anymore. But what's he saying? Now in light of that, that you've been fully set free, present yourself. Lay down your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That, that, that's the life of worship. That's what worship is. Worship's more than just singing songs on a Sunday morning. It's you laying down your life for his glory, laying down your preferences, laying down what you have and what you want, saying, God, I'm all yours now. If, if you're here this morning or watching online, you're like, man, I haven't made that decision to follow Christ. What's it look like? How do I begin this journey with Jesus? That's where it starts. You say, God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And, and I know, Christ, that you paid for my debt, took on the wrath of God on yourself and on my behalf. You died and then rose again, conquered sin and death. And in light of that, I'm giving you my life. I'm all yours now. And then as Christ followers, we don't stop there. It's, it's in this present tense saying we continue to do that. You continually lay down your life saying, this is my life. Why? Why? Not because, well, this is how I earn God's favor. No, I'm laying down my life because I want to, because you're motivated by the mercy of God. And you're saying, Lord, use my life now however you want. That's a good definition of worship. Lord, use my life any way you want. So we want to spend the rest of this morning unpacking, hey, what's that worship going to practically look like as a church? Don't leave verses one and two behind. That's the foundation because only the gospel, only remembering God's grace produces this kind of church, okay? All right, with that first point, here's our second point. God's mercy is expressed in community. God's mercy is expressed in community. In fact, it was Jesus that said that the, the number one way, the most defining characteristic of his church should be its love. In John 13, 35, he's talking to his disciples. He says, hey, this is how people will know that you're my followers, how they'll, they'll know that you're with me by the love you have for each other. In fact, I'd say this, at the end of the day, what, what convinces the, the world about the truth of the gospel is not so much our, our defense of our faith. Listen, it's our love for each other. In fact, I really think as we move through this sermon this morning, we're gonna hit the second part, which is being on mission together. But I believe this with all my heart. If we're doing this first thing, if, if we're really leaning into what it means to love each other because of God's grace, this mission of outreach becomes so much more easy. You don't need great music. You don't need special services to attract people to a church that's loving each other that well. People will be beating down the doors to get in to that kind of a community. And Paul says, I appeal by God's grace. Verse three, he goes on again, talking about God's grace. For by the grace given to me, and then he starts talking about relationships. He's saying this, listen, when you understand God's love for you, and when your life becomes a life of worship, that, that vertical worship of, of understanding God's grace for you, all of a sudden that worship now bends outward into your relationships. 
to the point where you couldn't gather as a church to just sing and call that worship if you're not united together, that worship and community are united. It doesn't make sense to have one without the other. So that vertical worship now has impact relationally. And then Paul unleashes 25 commands for what this life of worship looks like. We're not going to cover all 25 commands this morning, right? I hear an amen out there probably. Okay, right? But let me zero in on a few. And I would say this, take time this week. Take chapter 12 of Romans this week and just like, like read through it. Maybe even write out, hey, what are the different commands that we're called to because of God's grace? And ask the Lord, Lord, where does my life of worship not line up to what you've called me to? Where are you pressing into my heart to understand the gospel more, my worship of you to grow more so that it'll flow out in the ways you've called me to live? So what's it look like? What's a unified church look like? What's a community look like? A couple parts that you'd see in this. First is this, if we're gonna be united, we're gonna be united in love. A church that lives this out will be united in love. Again, look at verse three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So he's saying, think of yourselves rightly. So understanding who you are, a sinner saved by grace. Now you're just under God's grace. And so because of that, verse four, for as in one body, we are many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one. One body in Christ and individually members of one another. So what's he saying? He's using this analogy of the body that, that we're this one body, but a body has a bunch of different parts to it. So, so there's, you know, hands and feet and a nose and ears and mouth. And so all of us come in as individuals with our parts, but we're united together. In fact, verse five says that we're, we're members of one another. That a hand can't be out on its own. It's, it's a part of the body. So each of us now, I would say it this way, we belong to each other. Just as the parts of the body belong together, just the parts of the body are connected together in Christ, we're connected to each other. Now, it doesn't take very long to, to spend time online just watching the news or just Googling news stories to see that we are living in a world that is very divided right now. But in the church, we should have something so different, shouldn't we? that we're connected as one body, connected in Christ. So, so we're not separated by politics in the church. We're not separated by, by ethnicity. We're not separated by economics. We're not separated by our preferences. Here's why. Because those aren't the things that ultimately define us. They're not what actually connect us. We're connected in Christ. One in Christ. And so a church should be this place where we have these relationships that would confuse a divided world. Watching and going, man, that place is different from what I see going on out there. We're a body, united. Now, Paul also, look at verse 10. In verse 10, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. So he's jumping into a different metaphor there. He's saying we're, we're like a body as a church, but now he's also saying we're like a family. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about your physical family, but a church can be a lot the same in this. Church family can be, can be challenging. I'd say this way, you ever been to a wedding where, where they say to like the bride or the groom and the other side of the family says, hey, just so you know, when you marry this person, you get all of us. And I'd say the same, welcome to church. If you're coming to this church, you get us all. You get this thing we call family. Which means what? Which means welcome to a messed up church. 
I'd say that, that our church, yeah, messed up, why? Why? Because none of us here are perfect. That we're sinful people living in a sinful world and we're all coming together and that's gonna make things messy at times. And so just like our physical families, a church family, we can have drama. There are hurts and struggles here and sometimes caused by each other. Things can be unpredictable. But that's kind of the point. When you come back to where we started this morning, if you start all the way at the beginning, I appeal therefore by the mercies of God. If it's all about grace, we come together and this thing looks different in that way where grace overflows. Where if we're a family, then something changes because if the church is a family, it's not something you come as an event to attend. No, it's a family you join to, a family you belong to. So in all of our weirdness as a family here, in all of our sin, there's still love. There's still love. If I look at verse nine, Paul says this about our love for each other. Let, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. It's, it's not supposed to be fake. It's not supposed to be superficial. It's, it's a, a commitment to authentic love. In fact, Paul's word here that he uses for love, there's a lot of words he could have chosen. In, in Greek, there's all these different ways to describe love, or we just have this one word, love. He, he chooses this word, this word called agape love. It's this selfless love. That kind of love that we're supposed to have. It's this love, listen, that isn't dependent on the person receiving the love. Mostly that's how our love works. If you live up in a certain way, then you're lovable. No, this is a different kind of love. This is a love that completely is dependent on the one giving the love. It's God's love for us. God has an agape love, a, a love that in spite of our sin, God says, I choose you. I choose to pour my love out on you. Th this is the kind of love we're, we're now called to have for each other, that we, we don't love people based on what we get from them. We just love people selflessly. We're called to love people sincerely, to love people authentically. In fact, Jesus gives this parable, this story in Matthew 18. And, and just to, to illustrate what this should look like in a church, what, why we have this agape love. In Matthew 18, there's this story of this person who owes an unbelievable, unimaginable, unpayable debt into the billions and billions of dollars. And he, and he goes to the person who owes him the money, this king, and he says, I owe all this money. I can't afford to pay it back. And the king, just crazy, has mercy on him and says, don't worry about it. It's forgiven. The billions of dollars. The story goes on as Jesus is telling it and this, this guy goes out of that meeting and runs into a buddy of his who owes him some money. He grabs him by the throat and says, pay what you owe me. Now the scary part in this, in this story is that when you read to the end of that story, it, the scary part is the, the judgment that's poured out on that guy. I mean, the parable is pointing to this, that, that, that the grace that was provided to him, this, this unbelievable thing that, that, that we would call salvation, right? This, this salvation we have, God's grace poured out on us, that our unimaginable debt of sin has been covered, that this, this infinitely precious, amazing, undeserved, heart-humbling, mercy-awakening kind of grace poured out on us. And so that if we claim to know Christ, to have received that kind of grace, but there's no forgiveness, there's no patience, there's no love in our hearts towards other people. God's forgiveness just isn't there in our heart then. I mean, the whole point of that story that Jesus tells is this, that, that 
unforgiveness, that you have a, if you have a lack of genuine love, it's a sign you actually don't know Jesus. Paul lays out some more practical ways that this love is lived out. Look at verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I love that verse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's the kind of love that should be in the church where there's no envy, there's no competition, that when somebody is blessed, we celebrate with them. We rejoice. And, And the other side of that, when somebody is weeping, we weep with them. We weep with those who are hurting. That we would be the kind of church that is both throwing parties for people and sitting beside people and weeping with them. So let me ask you this. What would that look like? What would it look like to live out that verse this week for you? Let me ask it real practically. Who would you call this week? Who would you connect with this week? Who is someone you can celebrate with? Who's someone who needs you to weep with them? Paul goes on, verse 16, and he says this. He says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. This, this genuine love, this grace-driven love, it, it produces a, a harmony, a unity. This harmony, it only comes from humility. That humility that comes from remembering God's grace. And and listen, I can't wait till we get to heaven and we have a perfect community, but we're not there yet, right? So now, where we are now in this community here, we need a ton of grace. We need a ton of humility. Why? Because listen, in our sin, we can be wounded so quickly. And that that, those wounds can turn to to bitterness and, and to grudges. And so listen, we come back again to grace and we humbly bear with each other in the brokenness and sin that affects our lives. And we experience a kind of unity that's only found in Christ. Now he goes on in verse 16, not only do we live in that kind of harmony with each other, he says this, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. That that idea of associate with the lowly, it it could be translated like this to, to say, listen, take up humble tasks. Do the humble things. It's in the church where there's nobody who says, what, that's not what I do. Man, I'm not taking care of that need. Somebody else who's beneath me takes care of that. I'll say, no, if there truly is love, if you understand grace, what you've been forgiven of, who you are in Christ, then there are no needs too small. You'd pick those up. So not just united in love, I would take it further. So, so secondly, and as we're united together, we care for each other. We care for each other. We're committed in care. We're we're united in love. We're committed in care. I mean, I love how he says in verse 10, to love one another with a brotherly affection. To have that kind of commitment to to do the humble tasks for each other. I mean, I like that he uses the, the family language there because if you think about in your family, the stuff you're committed to care in. Think about the responsibility you have as a parent, the things you do that are are humble tasks, the things you have to wipe, the things you have to clean up, the things you have to take care of. They're humble tasks. And I like that, that as a husband and a dad, as I look at these verses, what's it look like? And and the responsibility I have as a husband and dad to care for my family, or or if you're a sibling or you have parents, there's this care we have for each other. And Paul says, listen, that's how the church is supposed to work. To be that kind of family, taking care of each other's needs. 
Let me give you a super practical one that's happening right now, right now while we're here, that upstairs there is a, a group of people who are teaching your kids as though they were their kids, opening up God's word for them. Listen, that's us being a family. As a church, we need to be constantly asking ourselves, how can I help care for people in the church like they're my own family? And this turns church upside down. This, this removes this attitude from church where, where we roll in and say, hey, hey, what is this place gonna do for me? How are you gonna meet my needs? How are you gonna take care of my preferences this morning? Instead, you come in to church thinking, who has God sent me today to minister to, to care for? Man, it's such a different way of doing community. It's so, it's so different than the world's approach where, where you come into any sort of membership into something and typically what you're saying as you're entering into membership, hey, what's in this for me? Like, do I get a free coffee after seven coffees? Like, what, what do I get in this deal, right? Where Paul's saying, no, no, no. When you come into the community of church, it's not that way. It's flipped upside down. Now, instead of saying, hey, what do I get out of this? You come in because of God's mercy. You come thinking, how can I glorify God by, by caring for other people? Who can I pray for today? Who can I encourage? Who can I edify? Who can I build up? How can I help somebody in what they're going through? Because here's the reality of God's word. Listen, I hope you hear this and know this, that, that God's design, he's created us to find fulfillment in giving ourselves away. And that kind of community will change our church. That kind of community will change your heart and your life. Paul goes on, look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now when he says can continue to contribute, that, that word contribute, it actually comes out of that word koinonia we were talking about at the beginning of the sermon, that, that being joined together. So he's saying out of being joined together in that community, you're joined together in how you share and how you give, and how you show hospitality, all the while pointing people to the grace of God. I mean, how, how cool would it be to have the kind of church community where, where your way of reaching those you know in your life who don't know Jesus is just, hey, you, if you want to see what true Christianity looks like, if you want to see Jesus lived out, man, look at this group of people I do life with in my church. Look at the way they, they live for and love each other. You got to think that that's what exploded the growth of the early church. In fact, let me read you a quote from a, a philosopher in the second century. And he was looking at how the church was growing. And here's what he said about the church in the second century. He said this, they go, they go all their way with humility and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them. They love one another. The widow's needs are not ignored. They rescue the orphan. He who has gives to him who has not, ungrudgingly and without boasting. When the Christians find a stranger, they bring him into their homes and rejoice over him as a true brother. When one of their poor passes away from the world, each provides for his burial according to his ability. If they hear any of their number who are in prison or oppressed for the name of the Messiah, they all provide for his needs. And if it's possible to redeem him, they set him free. If they find poverty in their midst, listen, and they do not have spare food, they fast two or three days in order that the need might be supplied with the necessities. You get what he's saying there? They don't give out of their abundance. When they see a need and they can't give, they go, I'll sacrifice so I can give. He goes on, they observe scrupulously the commandments of their Messiah, living honestly, 
and soberly as the Lord their God ordered them. Every morning and every hour, they praise and thank God for his goodness to them. I mean, Lord, make this true about harvest, right? For your glory. Now, where does all of this lead? That we would be united together, that we would be seeking Jesus together, that we would be spurring each other on to be in the word together as we've been learning in this series, that we'd be growing in grace, that we'd be growing more and more to become like Jesus. And why? Not because we're just sitting and waiting around, not because we're just, we're just hanging out in church, but we're digging in on our own, that, that God, you've saved me for a greater purpose. Not just to be a consumer at church, but to, to truly be a contributor. And, and so what do we know? We say we want to know Jesus more, and we want to share him more. We live in unity for each other, but listen, it goes beyond that. We do this because we want to reach a world that's lost. In fact, our third point is this. God's mercy sends us out on mission together. Flip over to Romans 15. So see what we're, what we're, what's being unpacked here, that, that when we understand the gospel, it leads our hearts to worship, which means we lay down our lives. For Christ, use me however you want to use me. And in doing that, we're unified together in love for each other, caring for each other. And then that care, that unity becomes outward focused. That we live our life for our community. That I would say this, that, that where you are right now, that you'd be living your life on mission. They'd be asking, man, who, who can I share this love with? Who can, I, who can I live out the gospel and speak the gospel with in my community? I mean, to be, to be on mission where you are, it, it's, it's super great because here's the cool thing. You don't need to go to language school. You don't need to read books on culture. In fact, you know the circle of influence around you. Listen, you're the best person to reach those people, even better than me. As, as a guy coming into, maybe it's your workplace, and I, and I roll into, onto the, the job site, I don't know the language and the culture of your people as good as you do. I would say this, God has you here. Until he takes you somewhere else, he has you here on mission. That's why you're here. We don't exist as a church just to, to coast through casual Christianity on this week-to-week, I-go-to-church kind of thing. We're created for something so much more than that. As a church, as Christians, we're united together. We exist for this goal that we've been called to by Christ of a global mission. And it's not just a slogan of our church. It's not like the elders came up with this neat idea that we should do this, but Jesus called us to go into the world. Yes, where you are right now, but beyond that. In fact, look at, look at Romans chapter 15. Look at verse 20. Hear what Paul says. He's telling me, I'm on mission. I'm going to this place. Why? Verse 20, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ not where Christ has already been named. What's he saying? He goes, I mean, I want to go to where they don't know about Jesus. I want to be sent out to the place where Christ is not known. And listen, as a church, we've talked a lot over our years as a church of what it means to be on mission with, with the circle of influence you have. We talk a lot about what it means to, to reach our community. But listen, we want to also be a church that is so fired up, so focused on what's it look like for God to send us out to places I've never heard. So listen, as we wrap up this sermon, I want to call Jay Brubaker up. He's our, our deacon of missions. And I think Jay can unpack this, this point better than I can as he shares our heart as a church to be a mission 
to be a church on global mission. So Jay, why don't you, why don't you take it away from here? Thanks, Guy. So you can breathe a sigh of relief. Um, one thing I'm not coming up here to say is that we've reinvented the entire thing. It's all new because that's not the truth. From the beginning, Harvest has been a church that's been about global missions and been about local outreach and church planting and really faithful in that. This morning, what we're endeavoring to do is create some more clarity, maybe some defining and hopefully a bit of vision in those areas. So that's what we're, that's what we're here for in the next section. Um, a few distinctions that uh, I'd like to make at this point when we talk about these things, and one is in the wordiness of what it means to be a missionary, to be doing missions, to be on mission and missional, and uh, those things are not all the same. And so first I would say that if you are a missionary and if you are doing missions, that would involve you going from the place where you're familiar to another place where you don't know the language and the culture, and you'd be learning that for the purpose of taking the gospel to those people. And uh, if you're on mission, and if you are missional, that means that, you know, when you wake up in the morning, and this should be the same for all of us, that we wake up and our goal is to, how can I intentionally use my life for the gospel and for the Great Commission and to show Christ to everybody I come in contact with? And why is it important to make the distinction between those two things? The reason is, is that, and there's a quote about this, which is, is pretty fantastic, and it's by a guy named Stephen Neal. And he says that if everything is missions, then nothing is missions. And what I've seen and what I'm sure you have seen too is that um, the tendency is, is that if we call you all missionaries and say get out there and be a missionary tomorrow in your family and your school and all that stuff, that's great if you're being missional. But what it does do is it dilutes the call for those people who God is calling to go to Nepal or to go to wherever. It dilutes the call for those people. And we really want those people to hear it clearly because God is calling people like that, and it's very important. Um, another distinction that uh, I'd like to say is, that we'd like to make, is that who is Global Missions for? And um, I'm saying this because I don't want a bunch of you guys to check out on me now. That So the truth is, is that Global Missions is for people who go, and for people who give, and there's no third category. So you don't get to say, I abstain from the rest because I'm really into this or that or whatever. That is the truth we see in Scripture in the Great Commission, the givers, the goers. And so for everybody here, you're one of those. And uh, so that's really important. So you can just track with me where we're going. And, uh, and it's just for all believers. And I guess the third distinction would just be that uh, the purpose of global missions and uh, local outreach and church planting is God's glory. That's, that's what we've talked about. That is what it is. It's not humanitarian. That can be part of it. It's not anything else. The focus of it is God's glory. He is who he is, and he deserves to be worshipped everywhere. And the truth is that the Bible says that if we don't do a good job of it, the rocks and trees will pick up the slack and worship him as well. Um, we're going to move to our first slide. I'm going to read it for you. And uh, it says, our global missions effort exists to make disciples of all nations, tribes, and languages, and to focus on the 2.1, sorry, 2.3 billion and the 3,100 language groups who are unreached. Our aim is to nurture and train many who become those who go and educate all others to be those who send, and then to partner with authentic mission agencies. So one thing that we'd want to go into a little deeper and provide more clarity in is that what does it mean to be unreached? And uh, 
The reason we put the stats in the definition here is because it's good to look at those things and say, this morning, the truth is, is that there are 2.3 billion people on earth and they can go for their entire lives and do the things they do and go the places they go and never come in contact with the Bible or with somebody who knows Jesus, somebody who can tell them about Jesus because it's just not there. It's not there for them. And, and that should break your heart a little bit. It really should. And that's why we're talking about this one first. And this is part of the Great Commission, which hasn't been completed yet. And that's why there's such an important, needs to be a focus on going and getting that done. And uh, I have a great example of, if you want to know if you live in a, reach, a reached nation or not, check this out. Hey Siri, tell me about the Bible. Okay, I found this on the web for tell me about the Bible. See, <laughs> people here, yes, we should still go to them, and yes, we should be telling them, but it's, it's here. The Bible is here for people who want it in this language, but it's the people on the other side of the world who really, really need it, and we need to put a, a definite focus on getting it to them. Um, sidebar, as we move to our next slide, um, in the next number of weeks, Pastor Kai is having a small sabbatical, and so please be praying for him as he recharges his batteries and, uh, and has a bit of a rest, which is great. And the reason I'm raising this now is the tail end of that previous slide, we talked about ministry partners and the importance of having really good ministry partners in going out and doing the Great Commission. And in my time overseas doing mission stuff and working with a lot of missionaries, um, there are some organizations that really get it and that are doing a great job and there's some who aren't. And so us as a church, if we're going to send people out, if we're going to be involved in making these investments, um, just know that we are committed to partnering with great people and great organizations for the sake of God's glory. And uh, the second part of that is, as Kai is having his sabbatical, we do have some speakers coming in to fill the pulpit here over the next number of weeks and some of those guys are going to be from within Harvest and there are a few who are from organizations outside of Harvest and uh, at this point don't look at those guys and just be like oh okay this is we're kind of test driving them to see if they're partner material they're great speakers they know how to share God's word and they do come from some different places and have different experience and we're excited to put some different stuff in front of you guys but uh, the purpose of them coming at this point is not like a first date or anything. So just putting that out there. All right, second slide. Local outreach. Outreach in our local community happens in partnership with the church family and ministry partners. Our aim is for Harvest Church family to be growing in the love for unbelieving neighbors, friends, and family, and growing in their competency to communicate the gospel and their own salvation story. And uh, so again, goal is to in our community and we've been doing this and we'll always be striving to raise the bar is to partner with really good solid local ministries that really get it and get the great commission and uh and then be sending you guys out to live on mission for sure and i know that if you and i had a personal conversation about this and uh and I was talking to you about, you know, you really need to share your, the gospel with your neighbors and your testimony and stuff. A lot of you'd be like, well, I don't feel comfortable to share the gospel. I don't feel equipped to do that. And we want to help you with that. And so there's going to be some teaching on that from various places, some from up here and some from small groups. And just to help you feel equipped to do that. And then I know the other thing would be, well, you know, I don't feel like I have much of a testimony to share. 
I haven't been to jail or anything like that. Like my testimony is pretty bland. I get that, but I also don't agree with you because, and you might want to circle this in your Bible, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, Apostle Paul, Paul, if you're a believer in Christ, you took the time to write down your testimony in the Bible. So I'm going to read it for you. This is what he says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God." Not a result of works, so that nobody can boast, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I encourage you to read your testimony this week. Get excited about it because it is awesome. You were dead. Now you're not. Beyond that, and you do have a lot to share. You really do. And uh, so in local outreach, authentic ministry partners all of you on mission, getting out there, being confident. Really excited about that. All right, uh, next slide. So church planting. We're committed to planting churches locally and abroad. Our aim is to help establish high-quality churches that produce committed believers who are fulfilling the Great Commission by intentionally and passionately doing all three of these, all three of these being global missions, outreach, and then church planting. Um, who here, because we've been about church planting since the very beginning, who here helped plant Harvest Muskoka? Show of hands, anybody? I see one there in the front row, okay. I know I was there, I think Eric was there. Um, how about uh, when we shifted to Bracebridge, any hands? I know a bunch of you guys were there, you're just too nervous, thank you. And uh, Perry Sound, any of us help with Perry Sound? I know some of us did. Um, we've also sent some people down to Nicaragua to help some churches get going down there. That was awesome. And Mexico as well. There's been some trips and some stuff for church planting down there. Great. So we are about this. And um, there's something, I don't know if you're familiar with the term, a feedback loop. Um, in uh, e ecological terms these days or climate change terms, it's like, you know, too much CO2 and heat in the um, environment and it raises the temperature and melts ice and raises the temperature and forest fires and it, it just is like a snowball effect. Um, if we're doing it right, if we're planting healthy churches, if we are a healthy church and healthy churches grow and we are sending out people to the other side of the world which fires us up to be in our communities, it's like a feedback loop that builds momentum and builds momentum for God's glory. And that's for all of us. And I hope you guys are excited about that, and I hope you're a part of that. Um, we're going to wrap up here soon. Um, but uh, so the Great Commission, global missions, local outreach, church planting. Why am I excited about this? And you should be too. Um, you don't know this, but one of our committed 
<clears throat> Sorry. Just get choked up because it's awesome. One of our committed families has a kid that's under 10, and this kid has known forever that he wants to be a missionary. True story. And, uh, and that's awesome. And I'm not going to tell you who it is because that kid doesn't need pressure from anybody. Just needs to keep working it out with the Lord and keep pursuing it. And, uh, but pray for, pray for that person. Pray for that family. That's here in our midst. And uh, there's another one of our <clears throat> high school students in our high school ministry. And uh, this person, same thing. They, uh, <clears throat> they want to be involved in taking the gospel to the nations and going. And that's amazing. So pray for these people. And I know that there are more. And uh, I know what it feels like to sit where you guys sit and feel God calling and, and just saying, let's go. And uh, I know how terrifying that is. And I also know that there's a lot of encouragement that's needed to get a person from feeling that call to, to moving and pursuing it because it is terrifying and there's a lot involved. But we want to help with that for God's glory. It's so exciting. And uh, Eric and the guys, you guys can come up. It's just important to think right now, you think, you know, Jesus comes back this afternoon. He comes back next week, six months from now. You know, what do I want him to find me doing? You know, for you guys, what do you want Jesus to find you doing when he comes back? You know, when he talks to you, do you want to be like, yeah, I just, I just binge watched four seasons of some show on Netflix. Like, really? This is a gut check for all of us. I'm talking to all of us here. It's important. These are great things, things to be excited about. Um, there's a great verse to think about, and it's uh, in Isaiah, and it says, and I heard the verse, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Let's pray. God, in this moment, <clears throat> pray for all of us that we would look deep inside and we'd ask ourselves these questions and just say, oh God, give me the faith, give me the humility, give me the guts to lay my life down and to say, what do you want to do with it? Where are you calling me? What am I doing tomorrow for your kingdom? And then accomplish these things in us by the power of your spirit. Amen.